Oh, thank you. So glad to be here. Wanted you to, uh, wanted to introduce my wife, Lori. She wanted to come up and just tell you how proud she is of all the work you're doing in outreach ministries with, uh, you know, spread the love and everything. She doesn't like to talk, so this is Lori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I love Mike. I love working with Mike. And we, Mike and I, share this passion and belief that we want to be a part of making sure that everyone in Orange County has the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, this possibility to be forgiven and start a new life. And we want to see churches all through Orange County. And one of the things, you know Mike, because you get to hear him every week, he is such a great teacher. And one of the things we're doing is we're looking to hire three more great teachers. Mike's going to work with them and train them, and we're going to plant three more churches. And so we're very excited about that, and that's what Mike's working on. So we're going to take his teaching gift and leverage it even further. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is what Mike asked me to talk to you about. So we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. So if you've got an outline, uh, pull it out. If you need a Bible, Mike wanted me to make sure that you got offered a Bible. For all of you that bring your Bible, Mike wanted me to say, blessings to you and that may your food taste better this week and for those of you that didn't bring a bible there's one here and you can borrow it but there's no blessing for you you got to start bringing your bible <clears throat> now one of the things that uh why i love uh that i get to talk to you this weekend is this weekend is is actually my favorite weekend of the whole year and i think it's probably one of the most important weekends to be in church of the whole year because this is your last sane moment before the craziness. I mean, you have today and then three days in Thanksgiving. And then after Thanksgiving, you have Black Friday, number one shopping day of the year. And then for the next 40 days, or roughly in the next 40 days, think about what you're going to do. You're going to buy more, give more, eat more. You're going to celebrate more. You're going to go through all the, you know, buy more gifts, wrap more gifts. You're going to decorate your house inside and out, decorate a tree. You're going to work to finish up just a new year, then celebrate New Year. And in all of that activity, if you don't do it right, you're going to get to the end of the new year and it's just going to go, and it's going to go by. Some of you, your, your credit cards are going to be smoking, your soul's going to be exploded, and you're going to be dead on the side of the road. Some of you are just going to feel like, wow, my glad. you're just going to survive it. That's, that's all you're going to do. In the next 40 days, you're going to do more than what you do in the whole other 12 months. And that's why I love that you're here today. You're in the right place. Because we're going to talk about what the Bible says is the most critical thing that you can do and be, and that's thank, being thankful. And here's what I want to do. I want to give you just a simple thing to do that's biblically prescribed. And if you'll do it, we'll start today and then do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Show up on Thanksgiving Day as a thankful person and model what it is to be thankful to your family and then just move through the Christmas season, the holiday season, with that mindset, it will change everything. And it will make you, it will give you what you really want. So we're going to look at God's word today, and we're going to look at what does it mean to be thankful. Now, what's the one thing no one has in Orange County? One thing no one has is enough. enough. Exactly. 
Doesn't matter what, they don't have enough. No matter how much you have, enoughness is just the eluded thing. And the reason is, is because we have a cancer, a disease in our soul, which is this if-then thinking. We think, you know what, I'd have enough if, and then you fill in the blank. You know, if I could just have that new car, if I could just get that degree, if I could uh, have that, you know, I'm in an apartment, if I could have a home, if I could have a bigger home, if I could find that spouse, <clears throat> if I could find a new spouse, if I could have the children, if those children would leave and go off to college, if, you know, whatever it is then I will be happy. And what I want you to see from God's word is this is a chronic problem for God's people. It is absolutely destructive to your soul. And you need to understand it because this if-then thinking is absolutely, you know, destructive. If you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 15. I'm going to look at Exodus. You know, the context here, this is the story where God's people have been in slavery to, in Egypt for 400 years. They've been crying out to God with one prayer. God, if you would deliver us out of the slavery of Egypt, we would never want anything again. Parents, have you ever heard that before? Your children come to you. They've identified one gift, just this one gift. If you would give me this one thing, then what do they say right after that? I will never want anything else again. This would make me happy. I will live a life of eternal thanksgiving if I just had this one thing. Only a child would be so foolish as to say this one thing. And yet this is what they did. So they were in slavery for 400 years. God heard their cry, sends their deliverer Moses through God's strong right arm, 10 plagues. God, you know, changes. Finally, Pharaoh lets them go. You remember you saw the movie, Charlton Heston, the book's better. So he, and then he lets the people go. They're delivered out of slavery. And actually God not only delivers them, but the, the Egyptians give them all sorts of money when they, you know, and, and they bless them so that they literally get God's blessing for the 400 year of slavery. It's all of the, the money, it's returned to them. They go out. And so you'd say, absolute, these people will be grateful forever. 400 years of slavery. They're going to be grateful, right? Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went from the desert of Sur for three days. They traveled in the desert without finding water. So now it's three days after this huge deliverance. Now they're from slavery. Then look at what it has. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why it's called that. So the people grumbled against Moses. How many days did it take for the people of God before they complained and wanted something else. Three days. Why? Because they had grooved this mindset of, if, God, you would just deliver us out of slavery, then we'd be grateful. But the problem is, is when you live with that if-then mindset, it is corrosive to your soul, and you are never grateful. Skipping, turn over to 16, verse 1 and th uh, through 3. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam from the, and came to the, the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of mead and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Here God gave them the one thing that they wanted. And it's like, better to die if you're not going to give us water and food. And so they're saying now, you know, it wasn't enough to get out of slavery, but God, now you got to give us water and you now you got to give us food. And God gave them protection, this pillar of fire. And then he gave them, you know, guidance and Moses that, you know, God's giving them everything. 
So God says, okay, I'll give you food. And it says in the morning, uh, there was this layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like a frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? When the Hebrew word for what is it is, good all you A students, manna. They went, manna, manna. For they did not know what it was. So Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omar, and you all know how big that is, for each person you have in your tent. Then the Israelites, skipping down to verse 35, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. And they ate manna until they reached the border of Cana. So they've got manna, they've got food. So God's, you know, they basically said, God, if you would just give to us, you know, freedom, they got freedom. God, if you give us water, give them water. God, if you just give us food, now they have food. God, if you give us guidance, they got guidance. God, if you'd protect us, they'd get everything and they'd be grateful. And what you're going to see is they're not grateful. They got manna to eat. Remember Forrest Gump, where he talked about how to eat French, fr uh, shrimp? So how many ways can you make manna? Boiled manna, baked manna, barbecued manna, right? Come on, play. Manna on a stick. Manna bread? Good. What other ways can you do it? Manna burgers, fried manna, manna salad, manna cotti, very clever. <laughs> manna, banana, cream pie. So they get, they eat it, and then they're getting sick of manna. So you go, and it doesn't matter, because it doesn't matter what God gives. Here's the point. God keeps giving and giving, but they keep wanting more. So here's the question. What would happen if God gave you everything you wanted? What would you say? Would you be happy? Here's the story of the people of God. Yeah, I know, right. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to take a try at that. All right. Here's the story. And the story in the Bible, this is the reason why God gives it to us. Here's what happens if you got everything you wanted. Over in Numbers 11, if you've got a Bible, turn over there. It's going to be on the screens. Here it was. Now the people complain. See, it doesn't matter what God gives. They're going to keep complaining. The rabble with them began to crave other food. Manna's, you know, we're tired of fried banana, manna, you know, we're sick of manna. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only, I love that, if we just had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions and garlic. And now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They go, we are sick of manna. So God says, all right, you want meat, I'll give you meat. He says, tell the people to consecrate yourselves uh, in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard when you wailed, and if only we had meat to eat, we will be better off. We would have been better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Now Moses says to God, you know, in the ellipsis, what I'm skipping over, is he says, uh, God, there's no way that you can provide meat for these people. There's 600,000 men that are warriors. That means there's 2 million people. He said, I don't have enough meat to just feed them one day. And God says, you're not going to just eat it one day. You're not going to eat it one week. You're going to eat it all 40 days. You're going to eat it until it comes out of your nostrils. And, and, and Moses says, it's not possible. <laughs> Verse 23. God answers Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not 
what I say will come true. Skipping down to verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail from the sea and it scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, this deep. And as far as a day's walk in any direction, God delivers meat. And on that day and night, all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homars, which you know how big that is. And when they spread them out all around the camp, but while the meat, here it is, what happens when you get everything you want? You think you'd be happy. This is where it ends up. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hatahava because there they buried the people who craved other foods. Do you know what Hita, I mean Kibroth Hatahava means? Graves of craving. And so this is where it ends. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. Now, these things occurred, all talking about the Old Testament stories, as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Here, what happens, ultimately, what would happen if you got everything you wanted from God? You'd say, I'd be happy. I'd never want for anything else. And do you know what the reality is? If you got everything that you wanted, you would live in a grave of craving. You would only want more. Do you know what Orange County is? A grave of craving. Because what is it that no one has? Enough. But we as God's people have this unique opportunity in this week to chart a different course. We can choose to be grateful. And grateful is responding to a good God that's saying, God, you give me every good thing that I need. I couldn't want for more. And it is soul-defining, and it is heart-defining. Now, in Psalm 106, Psalm 78 tells this story in poetic form, and so does Psalm 106. For extra credit, and Mike gives extra credit in stars, so you need to pay attention. You can read this. Look at what it says. It says, speaking of this incident in Psalm 106 in a poetic form, God gave them exactly what they asked for. Gave them all of it. But along with it, they got, read it with me, an empty heart. What happens when you live in a grave of craving? You just crave and you want more. God will give you a lot of what you want. But ultimately, what you're going to have is an empty heart. God provided, protected, you know, kept doing. But they had an empty heart. Verse 25, they found fault with the life they had. And they turned a deaf ear to God's voice. Psalm uh, Romans 8 says that God's spirit is in our spirit. And he every day whispers to us, we are God's loved children. When you hear God's voice, God's telling you and affirming you that you are loved, you are taken care of, you are protected. But when you find fault, that means you are ungrateful, that you want more and more and more, you stop hearing God's voice and that ingratitude just destroys your soul. Psalm uh, 106, verse 1 is the antidote. This is the most repeated phrase in all of the Bible. Will you read it with me? Let's fill God's house with God's word. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Most often repeated phrase in the whole Bible is what? Come on, you're all here. Let's play. The most often repeated, the most often, it should be important, right? The most often repeated phrase in the whole Bible is... Give thanks to the Lord for he is, his love endures forever. God is good 
all the time. Is God good just last time? Is God good sometimes? God is good all the time. And that's what he says in this passage. God is good all the time. The problem is, is that we don't understand. Being grateful is critical to our soul. When I was a kid, I watched uh, TV and there was this one TV show about a superhero and it would start every week with this. It goes, it's faster than, he's faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. No, it's a plane. No, it's That's right. And Superman had only one thing that could hurt him, and that was? And so kryptonite was the thing that could literally kill him. You are a super saint. Book of Ephesians says that you are left, you are blessed. You are given every spiritual blessing. You've been given to the Holy Spirit. Be ready for me. The answer, okay, is in gratitude. So be there. You got it? So, so... We are super blessed. We are loved. We are firm. God gives us every spiritual blessing. He gives us his word so that we can learn. He gives us the people of God to live by. We have everything we want, but there's only one thing that can steal the power that God's given to us. It is the kryptonite to the people of God and the kryptonite to our heart is. I was looking for a little bit more from you right there. The big buildup, I thought for sure you'd be there for me and you'd shout out in gratitude. The one thing, one more chance, that will destroy your soul is? So we say give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Over and over and over again in your Bible, that's what God says. So let's look and see just one more cut on how dangerous it is. From the very beginning... This is Satan's greatest temptation to you. Genesis 3. Uh, So, you know, let's look at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. Genesis 3 tells the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan comes to Eve and he tempts her. And she said, did God really say, you know, that you couldn't eat from any tree? And Eve gets it right. She responds to Satan and says, no, we live in the world of yes. God has given us every good thing. We can eat from every, every tree in the garden. God has given us every good thing. And, and she says, there's just one tree that we can't eat from. Now, very important lesson. Where is that tree located? In the center of the garden. What's the lesson that the tree that you couldn't eat from is at the center of the garden? Why is the center so important? Because it's a lesson to all of us at the very center of your life is one key decision. Will I do what God says and trust him or will I do it on my terms and do what I believe? And so that tree being at the center is a very important fact. And she says, you know, the one tree in the center can't eat from that garden. And so, of course, Satan tempts tempts her to doubt God's truthfulness. Did God really say, you know, that you would die in this? You know, he's going, you won't die if you eat that. So he denies God's truthfulness. But then the last one, which is most sinister, and this is what God does every day. I mean, Satan does every day in your life. He says, he doubts God's goodness. Number one phrase, God is good. You know, his faithful love endures forever. But Satan comes and says, you know, why is it that God doesn't want you to eat from that tree? You know why it is? Because you would be like God if you ate from that tree. You see, the one thing that you can't have is the one thing that you really need to be happy. 
Why should you have to live in the humiliating position of dependence upon God? If you ate that, you'd be like God. You'd be powerful. You'd have everything you want. The one thing you don't have, Satan says to you, is the one thing you need for happiness. What's the one thing you don't have that you need for happiness? If I just got that degree, if I just got, you know, the apartment, oh, if I could get the house, if I could just get the spouse, if I could just get rid of the spouse, if I could get a new spouse, if I could get children, if I could get, you know, if I, what's the, because just that one thing, and that's Satan's greatest lie from the beginning. It doubts God's goodness. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Most repeated thing. And the one thing Satan wants to get you to believe is God's not good. And the way he does that is to make you ungrateful, to make you wanting, to not make you content. So on the back of your outlines, if you're following along, here it is. We're going to go through just this whole idea of being thankful. Thankfulness. Look at what it says in Psalm 100. In the, the password, we enter basically into God's presence with the password, thank you. You know Psalm 100. Verse 4, we enter his gates with and into his courts with praise. Literally, what the Bible says is when you say the beautiful word, thank you, you literally step into God's presence. You are closer to God and you're moving towards God. And so being thankful, just saying the word, is this powerful spiritual thing. And you know it's true because every parent knows it's true and you got raising your kids because what's the thing that parents always make kids say? You're opening up a gift and Aunt Harriet gives you something that looks like a basketball and you're so excited as a kid and you're opening it up and all of a sudden you tear into it expecting a basketball and it's a globe and you want to turn and say, are you kidding me, Aunt Harriet? This is the dumbest gift ever. But before you can do it, your mom grabs you by the back of the shirt, yanks you forward and say, what do you say? And you say and the reason she does that is because she knows there's something that happens deep into your soul just by saying the word that it does something good for you so we're going to practice that spiritual discipline because when you say thank you you actually move into God's presence do you believe that Bible says it so I'm going to give you the chance to do it you're going to get to say thank you now some of you you know you're not playing and I'm watching and I'm just sad for your soul but here's your chance just to say thank you right so when you eat the right word is say thank you okay it's not hard but you know it's good for you your mama she taught you this when you eat something and it tastes really good and you realize God didn't have to give you taste buds he didn't have to make food taste good but he did it just because he loves you and so when you eat something that tastes really good you can't help but look into heaven and say with a little bit more alacrity you guys come on punch this out just you you wait all right so it goes when you want to do something and your body does it and it just reacts you give it a command and it does it you realize this is the greatest thing and so you say yeah all right now your turn and so when you are thinking you're trying to read a book or you're in a conversation and your mind just tracks with the other person and you realize my mind's working you can't help but say when you see us all together when you see a sunrise or a sunset and you go God's just showing off and it's a gift for me you can't help but look at that and say and when you look at a gift after gift that God gives to you every day you can't help but respond and say God that's right because thankful people just say they just do they can't help it look at what it says in Romans chapter 1 Romans chapter 1 is this spiral down away from God where does it start what's the first step that you take that moves you away from God yes getting all excited 
They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. What's the leading spiritual indicator in your life? What's the first step away from God altogether? Refusing to worship him and give him thanks for everything that he does. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. When you say thank you, you're taking a step towards God, entering into his presence. When you complain, you're headed towards hell and you smell like smoke. It's biblical right there. So let me just ask you a question because confession, it's just an important discipline. We know that, right? So how many of you have complained in the last week? Oh, you don't want to play. I'll just wait a second. I'll get you all. Okay, let's just talk about it. How many of you have complained this last week? You've complained about your money. You've complained about the marketer. You've complained about government. You've complained about your in-laws. You've complained about your weight. You've complained about your in-laws weight or... (laughs) Money. You've complained about traffic. You've complained about the weather. You've complained about your spouse. You've complained about your lack of spouse. You've complained about your children. You've complained about your boss. You've complained about anything. How many of you this last week, come on, say it, have complained? Good. And if you're not putting your hand up, you're just lying. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's a great thing. I mean, when we complain, we're just draining our heart. We're living in a grave of craving and we're not saying, look, thanks to God. God is good. University of Miami, UC Davis, did a combined study. They studied thankful people. They identified thankful people as one quality. Thankful people regularly write down or they make a mental note of things for which they're grateful. Just a list, and they say it. That's what a thankful person does. And so they studied people who were identified by thankfulness. Here's what they found. Thankful people are more creative, less anxious. They have more energy. They're more alert. They're more positive. They're smarter. They smile more. And they're better looking. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm looking at some of you and you're not smiling. You're not very good looking, all right? When you smile, you're better looking. So who's responsible for the thankfulness quotient in your life? Your boss? Your spouse? Your kids? Mike. Mike's responsible. He's your pastor. He's re- Who's responsible? Come on, say it. That's right. Nobody else is. You try to blame others. You're responsible. So here's the definition of thankfulness. On your outlines, you can write it or you can remember. It's easy. Thankfulness is wanting what I have. God is good and he's given me all these good gifts and I want what I have because everything I have is a gift from a loving Heavenly Father. Look at 1 Thessalonians. You want, to, you want to read this with me, right? All right, let's fill God's house. By that I mean your heart with God's word. Give th- let's read it together. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Definition of thankfulness is wanting what I have because it's a gift from God. What's the one thing that's going to happen during this holiday season? You're going to have catalogs. Marketeers are going to deliver messages to you and they're going to talk to you about your car and your wardrobe and your apartment or your house and all the things that you have. And they're basically going to say, you know, <laughs> what you have isn't any good. It could be better. You, you deserve better. You need better. And so a thankful person wants what they have. So I'm going to just go through different things that you have 
You'll fill in the blank, and you just say it with me. So we'll talk about a possession. You go, I want my, then well, the possession. It'll go, it couldn't be better. Now, some of you will have a hard time saying this because you look at some of your stuff and you go, oh, it could be better. And that's the problem. You're not thankful if you really think it could be better. So today, after the service, lots of you are going to walk out to your car, the car that God has provided for you that takes you faithfully, generally, where it wants to go. But it's got some noises and squeaks, and it's got some dings, but you're going to look at your car, the car that God's given you, and you're going to say, I love my... It... Okay, see, you're missing your big moment here, right? So, I love my car... It could be, and some of you need to say this. You act like it's no, this gets, when you say something, it goes deeper into your soul. Trust me on this, all right? So some of you are going to walk to your apartment, to your house, and you're, you know, you want the bigger house, but you're going to go, I love my apartment, or apartment. It, you're going to open up your closet, the closet that's got your clothes that are seriously out of date and make you look 10 pounds heavier, but you're going to say, I love my, because they, good. You're going to look at all the clowns that you work with every day, your boss and job, and you're going to go, I love my co-workers. They, they're right. You're going to stand up and look at your body in the mirror, the body that God gave you, and you're going to go, I love my, it, really? Okay, you're going to look at your friends, your spouse, all the relationships that God's given you and go, I love, relationships, the answer, I love my, they, Because thankful people want what they have. And they go through the discipline of wanting what they have. And so you say, I want what I have. It couldn't be better because the most thankful people in the world are coffee drinkers. And the reason is, is you watch the beauty of thankfulness lived out every morning as they wake up and they stumble to the coffee machine or to the nearest coffee shop and they get their coffee and they hold it because it's their own private little fireplace. And they smell this aroma that is so beautiful. One of the greatest gifts from God is just the smelling of that first smell. And then they take the very first sip of coffee. And they respond by going, ah, because thankful people look at what they have and they go, ah, try it on. They look at their car and it's the car that God's provided. And they go, ah, oh. they look at their clothes, even though they're out of date. And they're the ones that God's given them. And they go, ah, oh. they look at their furniture, their apartment, their house where they live. And they go, ah, oh. they look at their spouse waking up. Be careful, guys. Then wake up in the morning and there's a little drool. But you see that and you go, ah, oh. they look at your body in the morning, the body that God's given you in the mirror. And you go, Because thankful people want what they have. Because everything that they have is a gift from a loving father. And they are overwhelmed at the gifts that they have. They want what they have. The second thing is thankful people are contented people. Means they don't want any more. Here's a way to remember the definition of contentment. Not wanting more. Who's more content? The man with five million dollars or the man with five children? And the obvious answer to the question is... The man with five kids. Because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> Contentment is not wanting more. What's the one message that's going to be delivered to you by every marketeer, by every catalog that comes to you, by every advertisement through this whole holiday season? You need more. 
And you need to literally start yelling at the TV set, I don't need it, all right? Let's say it together. I don't need it. Just practice that. That's the practice of contentment. So let's just go through the list. You're going to see the advertisement for all sorts of gadgets you didn't even know existed. You're going to look through those catalogs and go, I didn't even know that. You know, and you're going to be tempted to say, I need that. But you're going to see that gadget and you're going to with courage say, Good, you're going to see the picture of the new car with the girl draped across it. And you're thinking, that just might, you know, convert. And you're going to say, you're going to see all those wards, you know, catalogs of new clothes that, you know, are going to make you look 10 pounds lighter. And you're going to say, with a little bit more energy, you're going to go out playing golf with your friend. And he's going to have the new Tizinium Hyperlight Cosmic Overhead Differentiated Driver. And you're going to hit... That driver and the golf, you're going to hit a ball further than you've ever hit it before. You're going to hold that driver in your hand, look at him and say, yeah, I need that, right? So all you guys go, no, no, I need that. You're going to, all the things, I mean, literally, you know what happens every time this season is the lottery gets to the highest level in December. Why? Because we are so wrapped up in what we need. We believe that the lottery, and it'll go way past $300 million. You're going to stand at the, uh, you know, the grocery line or whatever. They're going to say, you want to buy a lottery ticket? And you're going to go, no. Because you're going to look at $300 million and say, I don't need it. And the reason I know I don't need it is that I have a loving Father in heaven. And if I needed $300 million, he would give me $300 million. But the reason he hasn't given you $300 million is nobody would like you if you had $300 million. And you would be alone. And I know that's what would happen to me. And so God is protecting you. And he loves you too much to ruin your life with $300 million. Right? Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying, because that's just the truth. Because you have to say, I don't need it. Paul said, you know, in Philippians, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. You know where Paul was when he wrote that? In jail. And he's writing to people who have gone through a huge financial turnaround. Lots of them have lost their home and property. And he says, I've learned anybody born content? Nobody's born. Our sin and brokenness, we are born with discontented hearts. And he says, I've learned to be content. It's something that you've got to learn. And the way you learn it is saying, I don't need that. I don't need more. That's a lie from hell. I don't need more. Later, Philippians 4, 19, he says, I know the same God who supplies everything that I need will supply everything that you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Here's this incredible promise. He says, I'll give you everything that you need. Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in. Only way you can rejoice and be glad in today is this next verse. You want to read it again one more time? Let's do it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Most repeated phrase. So what is the one thing that you're going to do to get the life you always wanted? Only way is to be grateful. Bible tells over and again, be thankful, be thankful. In every circumstance, be thankful. The world will even tell you what a thankful person looks like. It's a person who makes lists. David, Psalm 103, models it. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I forget, never forget the good things that he's done for me. You know what the rest of that psalm is? a long list of every good thing God did for David. On the bottom of your outline is nine 
blanks. I'm going to ask John to come up. He's going to sing over you in a second. But here's what I want to invite you to do. Every, I, I regularly do this. I want to be a grateful person. I want to be marked as a person who is thankful. And so at the beginning of November, what I always do is I just look at how grateful am I? And I begin to make lists. And so my goal is literally every day is to write 10 things for which I'm grateful and not repeat. And it's just this fun adventure. Now, you don't have to do it that way. But if you just would sit down every day, here's what I think God's word says to us in a very practical way. If you would write down just today, if you don't have a pen, just in your mind, start filling in those blanks mentally. What are the 10 things for which I'm grateful? And you do that today, Sunday. And you do that Monday. And you do that Tuesday. And you do that Wednesday. Here's what the Bible would say. You will show up on Thanksgiving Day as a grateful person. And you'll move at your family and friends and just say, hey, and sometime during the day, you'll just, you know, whether you're with roommates, wherever you are, you say, you know what, can I just share with you things that I'm grateful for? I made a list. I guarantee you lots of the people at the table will have made your list and you just say what you're grateful for. I'll promise you this is what will happen. A spirit of gratitude will break out and people will go and they'll just say one thing for which they're grateful. You will have invited the people you love into the presence of God because when you say thank you, you enter into his courts. You literally walk into, even if they don't know God, they're moving at God just by saying thank you. The Bible says it. So today we'll start, if you do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you'll show up and I guarantee if you make it that far, you'll make it on Black Friday and you start moving through and just at a coffee shop, you don't have to keep the list. Just make the list, because then you'll start saying it. And as you do that, you will fill your heart with thanksgiving. And you will go through this holiday season. The Bible promises it. A different person. Isn't that what you want to be? Don't you want to do this different? So right now, as John sings over you, will you just in your mind start making a list of the ten things? There's nine blanks in there. If you don't have a pen, it doesn't matter. Just try to come up with the list right now. And then I'm going to have you... Just yell them out at me after he sings over you. Just think for a moment. What are you grateful for? <laughs> 